don't have your booklet, that means you left at home. <laughs> All right. Uh, Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6 this morning. Good to see each and every one of you and have you here in God's house. I'd like to turn your attention to the last verse of Revelation chapter 6. Okay. And here it says, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? All right. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. I'm going to uh, work this morning as they give you these printouts. I'm going to work on stand fast, standing fast. Okay? Bible terminologies, we want to always stay with the Bible. You start hearing terms and things that are built around terms that are not in the Scripture, then that should give you a warning right there. You need to take heed. The Bible did say to take heed to that which you hear. So it's important that you pay attention to the words, and most especially to the word. You want to pay attention to that, okay? Everybody said praise the Lord. All right. So you get your printout. Take a look at it. Standing fast. Standing fast. Okay. All right. From the Psalms, Psalm 89 and 28, he said, My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. I trust that you know God has no problem taking care of his part of the bargain. Not one word is ever going to fail from God's chapter and verse. It's forever settled in heaven. And he is a God of truth. It is written that he cannot lie. So when God makes a covenant with you, when he makes an agreement with you or a promise to you, then you can rest assured he'll keep his side of it. He'll do his part. So I want you to be encouraged that uh, by this verse, he said, My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant, my agreement, my promise, shall stand fast with him. Now God gives us promises, and he gives us a covenant, because, for an example, he is the God of salvation, and he did promise early in the scriptures, book of Genesis, that he was going to provide a means of salvation. Salvation belongs unto God, and he knows how to save every man, woman, boy, and girl. I do want to make it clear that your cooperation is necessary. God's not going to force you. Uh, I know that he will he can bring to the bare pressure on those pressure points. I know that he can do a lot of things in an attempt to point us in the right direction, to help us. All of those things, though, are for our benefit. He knows that we're hard-headed. He knows that we're on the stubborn side of things. And uh, <clears throat> as one guest this morning said, um, sometimes we're just knuckleheads. And uh, <clears throat> it's kind of part of our nature. And we have a tendency to think it wrong and say it wrong and do it wrong and act wrong because the Bible teaches that this nature of ours in it dwells no good thing. <clears throat> so we, we need a new nature. We need the Lord to give to us that which he promised. We need his covenant. Now, Jeremiah 31, 
and verses 31 through 33, he said, Behold, I make a new covenant. The reason God made a new covenant is because the old covenant, they broke it. They didn't cooperate. All the great and mighty things that God did, all the things you read about from Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant, or the Old Promise, or the Old Will, all of that, you read about tremendous miracles and displays of God's power, and how with a an high and mighty arm and great authority, He brought them out of places of bondage and delivered them from all kinds of oppression and difficulties and situations. And he trusted them to be cooperative and to be obedient and to work with his plan and his program. But unfortunately, according to Jeremiah 31, that they, they broke that covenant. But God said, behold, I'm going to make, he said, look, behold, look. He said, I'm going to make a, a new covenant here. I'm going to write up a new agreement because I realize that there's a lack of power here. That man is weak according to the flesh and very subject to evil spirits that affect him in a negative way. So God said, I'm going to make a new covenant here. And I'm going to write something in people's hearts. I'm going to give them an experience that is going to give them, as Acts 1 and 8 said, power. And as Jesus taught, give you all power over the power of of the enemy, that you could tread upon the scorpions and the serpents, and that nothing by any means should hurt or harm you. These are great promises from the Word of God about what He was going to do for people who would cooperate with His new covenant or His new agreement or His will, okay? And so He said, I'm going to make a, a new covenant here. Now, that's why He had this plan to show you something that could be identified with by human beings. And he condescended, the Bible teaches. He came down to our level, meaning that God, who is a spirit, was manifest or shown clearly in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16. So the Lord looked and said, there's nobody, so I'm coming myself. And so he became, or he came in human form. Now, I want you to understand that the, the mystery of that is tied up in spirit and flesh. That God is a spirit, and that he chose an invisible. As such, he is invisible. But he chose to come in the flesh, or he chose to come visibly. The means by which he did that his spirit, just as it did in Genesis 1, when his spirit moved upon the face of the earth, and that he said, let there be light, and there was his spoken word. Where the word of the king is, there is power, and there is authority. And he is the king of kings. He controls all the elements. That's why when he came in the flesh, and he demonstrated that power, in the midst of a storm, he was able to speak to the wind and to the rain and to the boisterous, noisy seas, and he calmed everything down. And they marveled. They marveled, and they said, even the elements obey him. That's why it tells you in the Bible that he can speak to the lightnings, and they will present themselves, if you please, at attention and say, here are we. What would you have us do? He can speak to all of the different elements. And you want to believe in that one God that can do all of these things. You want to believe in your heart right here. I'm not talking about your fleshly pump. I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about the seat of your thoughts and your intellect. The place that you think from place that you make decisions from, the place that you, you feel from. You feel joy, and you feel love, and you feel peace, and you can feel many negative things also. That's your heart, okay? And that's the place where you want to get God 
to work a miracle in your life. This is the place where he can change your nature. Okay? He can give you a, a nature change. He can give you a spiritual nature. A nature like that of Jesus Christ. Okay? He wants you to realize that when he saw that things were not going well and that man was tripping and stumbling and falling all over himself, if you please, then the Lord, then the Lord said, I'm going to make a new covenant. I'm going to give you some power. I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to help you in your situation and in your dilemma. And so just as he spoke the word and said, let there be light, and there was. So his spirit overshadowed a willing vessel by the name of Mary, and he spoke the word. And the Bible said that which was conceived in her was of his Holy Spirit. Just as the elements conceived and they brought forth light and many other such things that he spoke into existence. So he spoke the flesh into existence. And when she, Mary, gave birth to that flesh, then the Bible tells you he was born king. He was not an also ran. He was not a second or a third or a tenth or a twentieth. He was the one true God come in the flesh. The one God that showed himself as father in creation. The one God that showed himself as the son in redemption. And the one God that showed himself as the gift of the Holy Ghost in the church. In this time period in which we live. And so as that flesh that you know as the Son, that flesh began to go about an earthly ministry. He was bringing a new covenant. He was bringing something that they marveled, and they said, we never heard it on this fashion. They marveled and they, at His doctrine because it was with authority and it was with power. That when He spoke, devils trembled, cried out, and said, oh, we know who you are. And are you come to torment us before the time? The Bible said that the devils believe that there is one God and they tremble. They're not confused that there's 10 or 20 or 3 or 2. They know there's one God, your Bible said, and they tremble. They fear that one God. That one God who said, I'm going to come and show myself in the flesh. I'm going to manifest my glory and my power before all of you. And as he went about doing good and healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the cancerous or the leprous, he, all the things that he did, he did in an attempt to convince you, to convince mankind that he was for real and that he so loved this world that he said, I'm going to give you this flesh this flesh that is going to be a sacrifice on the cross and that it's going to, this flesh is going to shed my blood and that if you will believe, and I want to give you subject matter here, if you will believe on Him as the Scripture has said, then you'll have this great Holy Ghost experience that He purchased for you on the cross, that He made possible for every man, woman, boy, and girl to have in every generation. Unfortunately, your Bible teaches us that it's going to be a few out of each generation. But that added up will come to a multitude that no man can number. That Revelation said will be around His throne and that they will be robed in linen righteousness and that they will sing the song of salvation and that they will be viewed as those that have come out of great tribulation or great persecution, hard times and sorrow, and I would like to say also great unbelief. Because we're living in a time right now, we're approaching the very last of the last days. And we are seeing things take place in our time, in our generation, that has not taken place hitheretofore. The scripture said it's going to be a time of tribulation such as was never before. There'll be no precedent for this. There'll be no chief example in the history books about this. That's why Jesus said Sodom and Gomorrah 
will rise up and condemn this generation. That's why he said the things that were taking place in the times uh, when the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba came, and all the glory that she saw, said she's going to rise up and she's going to condemn this generation because nobody had ever seen it like this. And that's exactly what people that were there said. We've never seen it on this fashion. We've never seen it this way. Maybe an old prophet has risen up and Jesus asked and polled his disciples and said, well, who do men say that I am? Who's the public opinion say? Who do all the, the brain trusts say that I am? And they begin to say, well, some say you're Jeremiah. Others say you're one of the old prophets that's risen up. And Jesus said, yeah, but you as my trainees, as the church to be, whom do you say that I am? And that's when the Spirit gave Peter the revelation because you cannot get this except by revelation. This doesn't come by a secret handshake. It doesn't come from behind closed doors of carnal men that share information to enrich themselves in this life. This comes from heaven. This wisdom comes from God. This light comes from Him who came from heaven and robed Himself in flesh and put that flesh on the cross and then withdrew from that flesh and that flesh was buried but re-entered that flesh three days later and it raised up again from the dead victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Behold, I give you a new covenant, He said. I'm coming to show you a better way, give you a better sacrifice, give you the better thing that I am offering and nothing will ever equal it and nothing will ever surpass it. And that's why you better remember when people tell you that there's such a thing as a Gentile church and they so they want to tell you there's a Gentile church and there's a Jewish church. And you better remember your Bible tells you we're all one in Christ and that there's one plan of salvation. There's one covenant he made that way so there's not one group going out and then thousand years later another group's going to be saved by during that time by some other means that is the words of blasphemy there is only one god and i will skip ahead a moment and tell you there is one lord and there is one faith and there is one salvation and you better tell yourself that that is the means and the way that god provided and salvation belongs to him and he gave it freely to whosoever will. To whosoever will. Man would tell you you could just shake a hand and sign a card. Man would tell you to go through all kinds of rigmaroles, you know. And they make up things as they go along. And they take a scripture from one place and they put it with something else somewhere. And we've often given the example, the Bible said that Judas went and hanged himself in another place it said, go thou and do likewise. I don't think we want to put those two scriptures together. That doesn't sound like good subject matter and positive scripture to me. That sounds like taking something completely out of context and bringing about a whole big ball of confusion. But your Bible tells you, he that believeth on him, as the scripture has said, not only would they receive the Holy Ghost, but the scripture said they will not make haste. They will not be running to and fro, wondering what to do, like Matthew 25 depicted those uh, foolish virgins, how they were running all over the place and trying to get this message when they had for so long put it off and so long didn't believe it. No, you want to be among the wise that you get this good gift of the Holy Ghost, that you get this new covenant, that you sit up and pay attention to what God is saying and believe it with all of your heart and that you will not manifest the spirit of unbelief any longer, but that you're coming to Him in faith. And that you're realizing that he came in the flesh. And he did it so that he could hand deliver to you this great salvation. That he could make this possible for you. 1 Corinthians 16 and 13 tells you to stand fast in the faith. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One fixed, firm set of beliefs. Not given by man but given by God. The Apostle Paul made that crystal clear. He said he did not receive this of man. He was an apostle, one born out of due season. I had a man the other day, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was, and we saw him standing outside a place, and it, it used the name apostolic. So I asked him, what does that mean? And he said, uh, well, 
he said, uh, that, that, that means that uh, the Apostle Paul, and everything he said was the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul. So I said, well, what happened to Peter and James and John? And he said, well, they, they were there too. It was Peter that said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, because you didn't get that from flesh and blood. You didn't get that from a textbook. You did not learn that from some commentary. You didn't get that from some little sit-down little group that decides to make up their own rules as they go along. He said, you got that from the Spirit. You got an insight here, and blessed, happy to be envied are you, because that's where it's really at, church family. When God opens your little peanut, peanut brain, and He pours in the light, He pours in the revelation, He dispels the darkness, and you become among the few and uh, that are chosen of God, if you please, called of God, and I trust chosen of God, that you know and have the revelation of who He is, that when you call on Him, you can call all kinds of titles and names. I love Him. His name, whose name is Lord of hosts, whose name is Chalice, whose name is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and end. But if you want them blind eyes to open, you better pray it in the name of Jesus. He said that's the name above every name. That's the key that opens the lock to whatever you're locked out of. Amen. And he's, he made it crystal clear. You go to ask and you ask in that name. And you ask in that name in truth. You call upon him in truth, the scripture teaches. So you want to keep it clear in your mind that he has made a way. He's made a way for you, the Bible said, to escape. He's made a way for you to get out of the tough and bad situation. He's made a way for you to go to heaven. And you want to realize that you have a destiny beyond this life. That you can have, you, you don't have to go down. You do not have to go to the wrong place. I mean, you've really, really, really got to make an effort to just go there. And as one fellow said, and I saw it <laughs> driving in my car, he said, the party in hell has been canceled due to fire. So I, I suggest you not go there and don't believe that there's going to be a party there because there's not. Don't believe that there's going to be fun and fellowship there because there's not. Those are, those are carnal words that are draped in humor. And people say these things, you know, to try to make a joke out of a reality. But you would do far better to put your efforts to put your brain power, to put your faith that God has placed in your heart, that measure of faith, you would do much better to channel all that up and set it on things that are above and tell yourself, I'm going to go to heaven because he made the way. He brought the salvation. He made a new covenant. He said they broke it, but God said, I'm going to make a new one. I'm going to fix everything up for you. I told somebody the other day, you make a mistake, you do something wrong, that's a, that's a mistake. But if you correct it, then that's a boo-boo. Well, let's get it downsized here. Let's take all of our mistakes as Jesus did, and he lumped them all into one, and he died for the sin of the world. He died for every last living one. He gave his life on that cross that you could have this oh-so-great salvation. Now when, you know, the, that uh, he was there too, fella, by the name of Peter, when he stood up on the first day of the church, there was a first day, there was a beginning, there was a precedent set, a chief example was put in the books right there, or in the book, if you please, and that was Acts chapter 2, and you read that. It was a feast day among the Jewish. And you must remember that salvation is of the Jew. And it is to the Jew first. And the Bible teaches that when they had obeyed Jesus, this number of about 120, and he had told them to go and receive ye the Holy Ghost. He gave them a commandment, an imperative, an order. Go do this. Don't get involved with anything else. Don't just get playing around and get
get some kind of religion, you know, and play some little game here and get a conscience soother. He said, no. He said, you go and you receive the Holy Ghost. And so the Bible teaches of above 500, about 120 obeyed what he said, and they went from this place called Bethany in the Mount of Olives, and they went down to Jerusalem to the upper room of the church house, and they were there until the Bible teaches they came to that feast day. And on that great feast day, which was the feast of harvest and of the ingathering of the first fruits of the harvest, then the Bible teaches there came a sound from heaven. Now that's the sound you want to hear. You want to get something from heaven. All right? The Bible teaches a person can receive nothing except they receive it from above. In other words, everything else is vanity. Everything else is vexation. Everything else is going to ruin and destroy and, and be an avalanche in your life of such a load of so many distractions that you are going to miss the very important thing. And that's why Jesus said you get nothing except you get it from above. But remember that every good and every perfect gift cometh down from above from the Father of lights. And so here we are, and he pours out his spirit, the Bible teaches, for the first time for whosoever will. That everybody now, the veil has been rent in twain, and mercy is out and running loose, and God's mercy is for everybody. He is saying, I've made this plan for everybody, that whosoever believeth in me is not going to perish, but they're going to have everlasting life. I'm opening the doors to everybody. I'm making the plan and the new covenant and the agreement, the promise, the way of salvation. I'm making it for everybody. I went, I, that flesh went to Calvary and gave its life as a sacrifice that everybody could come in, that everybody could. He said, I made a place for you. If you never fill your place, that's your fault because he made the place for you. He made that special little spot that you fit just right. Got your name. Got a reservation. And you don't want to miss it. Because you're one day going to realize if you get this, you're going to have the one day the end of your salvation. You're going to get out of here. You're going to be caught up in the first resurrection. And that's the only resurrection that you should be interested in. Because the second resurrection is nothing but dead folks. And they're going to rise up and they're going to be judged of him that sits on the throne. And they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. And even hell's going to be cast into that. So you don't want to go there. Not when you have a reservation to go to a much better place. Somebody that was feeling a little bit of strain, a little bit of load, mentioned that um, for like $125 you could fly to Hawaii. Well, that might be a temporary break, but I'm looking for that eternal break. I'm looking for that, that reservation to get out of here and to escape from all of the things that the enemy and the pressure that he's going to bring to bear and all of the tribulation, the hard time and the sorrow, and that comes from the enemy. He's always brought that against God's people. Anybody that lives godly in Christ Jesus, you must expect to have persecution. You must expect to have criticism and hard time and adversity. You're going to have those things if you live for God. And you don't need to wimp out. You don't need to feel like, oh, poor little old me. I'm not. Yes, you have to understand something. When he poured out his spirit in Acts chapter 2, where we left off at, for everybody here, and they were all gathered together, and the Bible said there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, sat upon each and every one of them, and they were all. Now, you know, some people want to argue and they want to say, what do you mean all? It was just all the 12 apostles. Well, it didn't say just all the 12 apostles. The only thing that got named was about 120. And there were others named in there besides the, the 12 apostles. And besides, why would you want to say it's only for that little 12 people and for nobody else when God is saying whosoever will? whosoever will. Why would you want to push away the promise of God? You need to stand fast in God's promise. God promises it to you in His Word. And you need to clamp a hold of that promise and say, this is for me. I can have this. I can have this. And as some of us are 
very happy to tell people when they tell us we can't have it, sorry you've come too late, I've already got it, you know. So I already got the corn in the crib, so no sense telling me I can't. Everybody said amen. amen. Everybody said praise the, Lord. praise the Lord. All right. So as Peter stands up on this day, he's freshly baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. And he and the other, about 120, and it is spilling over into all of the area around them, down, down on the ground in the streets, and, and people are marveling and people are mocking, and it's always going to be that way. There's going to be people that are going to take note and they're going to respond favorably to the, to the uh, work of God and there are always going to be those that it, it causes a division line and they're going to mock, they're going to make fun, they're going to say all kinds of weird things, but you've got to tell yourself, I'm going to stay with the Lord, I'm going to stand fast, His Word said it, and I'm going to believe it. I'm not going to let anybody uh, criticize me out of it, I'm not going to let anybody say some some little derogatory and negative thing that's going to cause me to wither in the heat of persecution. I'm going to stand fast here. I'm going to be upright in the faith, okay? And everybody said amen. So Peter, now Peter who was along with the others has been given the keys to the kingdom. Peter stands up and he steps forth and he begins to get his words from the Lord. The Lord is feeding him through the Spirit now. The flesh is gone. It's been caught up to heaven. But here we have the Spirit. That's the time that we're living in. We're living in the time when we have the opportunity to have the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that His Spirit works in many marvelous ways through His church to lost and dying world here. And to saints, of course. And so the Bible teaches very plainly that as Peter began to preach that first sermon, on the first day of the church that the congregation that Jesus put together and birthed, uh, the Bible teaches that Peter began to quote to them how in prophecy that it was foretold that in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, Joel 2 and 20. And as the spirit had been poured out, he was testifying to them of what they had just seen these people receive. The Bible teaches the whole known world at that time was gathered there, representatives of it, 17 plus nations, and they beheld with their own eyes and heard with their own ears what took place when these people received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Nobody was shaking a hand. Nobody was signing a card. Nobody was doing anything opposite except what Jesus was saying would take place. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come unto you. I will send you the gift of the Holy Ghost and it will lead and guide you into all truth. And that having been taken place, Peter begins to tell them this is just what was foretold right up through the ministry of the flesh of the man Christ Jesus. And here we are living proof of it now. We have this experience. And as he begins to give them some preaching and some teaching, then they cried out with one mind and one accord. And they said, men and brethren, what must we do? What would you have us to do? Now, if it was a card signing situation, that would have been the time to hand out the cards with those little prepackaged prayers that are filled with preservatives. You know, that would have been the time to do it. If it would have been a handshake, then the apostles would have lined up with the rest of about 120 and they would have started shaking hands. Okay? If it was if if the wording from the Spirit of the Lord was to take Christ as your personal Savior then they would have said that. But they didn't say that. That's not what God said. And the 11 apostles stood up with Peter when he preached this, okay? Because some people are so confused and so desperate to be right in their tradition that they will tell you that, oh, oh you only believe Peter and you believe him more than you believe Jesus. Ah, wrong answer, okay? Jesus gave Peter what to say, <laughs> okay? Very simple, and, and that's exactly what we want to live for and believe for. We want the Lord to work through His church because that's His plan. That's why He birthed the church in the earth and that congregation. The church is not the building. The church is made up of people who are born again. Jesus said you must, you must, you must be born again of water and of the Spirit. 
That way you can get a new nature. That way you can have victory over sin. That way you can have all power over the power of the enemy. And so as Peter received his instructions from the Spirit of the Lord, which is written right there in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, as he got his instructions and got his words and all of his training came together and he began to tell the answer to their question. Men and brethren, what shall we do? You, you have convinced us. You have, you have cut us right to the heart. You have definitely scored a, a bullseye here. Now, now that you've got our attention and now that we're in convicted, repentant mode, what shall we do? And if you will look at your handout, that's where Acts 2.38 comes in. And this I have told people over and over and over again. This is the most important scripture in the entire Bible. Okay? From Genesis to Revelation, for you, this is the most important scripture. Then Peter said unto them, By the Spirit, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, it doesn't stop there because verse 39 also on your handout says, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all them that are afar off. That's nice to hear because we were afar off. And to all them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Okay? So, notice you have for the promise the covenant, the New Testament will, is unto you. All that was done from Genesis right to this scripture, Acts 2.38. Everything is pointing to Acts 2.38. That was the most pivotal time right there because the transition has been made. No longer was anybody under the law because the Bible teaches that the law was a killer. Okay? The letter of the law would kill. But he said, but the Spirit, now that's going to give you life. The Spirit is going to give you life. Okay? So it's nice that God doesn't just come along with His Word and slay you, but that He then raises you up by His Spirit. Yes, the Word of God, we need it. Of course we need it. And we need it to kill the flesh. We need it to deaden the flesh. We need it to get our attention. We needed to, to convict us of our sin and our sinful ways and the wrong ways of doing things that we've been doing. We need that. Paul said, how would I know that thou shalt not covet except the Scripture had told me thou shalt not lust or the other way around. How should I know it was wrong to lust except the Scripture had said thou shalt not covet. So it, it educated me and that's what your Bible tells you that all that Old Testament was for. It was a schoolmaster, a tutor, a teacher to bring you to Christ, to bring you to this great New Testament salvation, this new covenant. And he's telling you, get this and stand fast in it. Don't let anybody turn you right or turn you left or talk you down or criticize you or talk you out of it. He said, you stand fast. I'm talking to you about standing fast in the faith, in the scriptures, in the truth, in what it says. No matter what anybody says. Now people always like to say, well, what about this scripture? And about the time you explain that scripture to them, they're already on to, well, what about this scripture? You know, and they're always like one question ahead of you because they're not listening to the answer, you know. And as one individual came to a lady's house and I was asked to come and, and uh, you know, kind of help out a little bit, and the person was just going on and going on and going on, and so finally I said a word and I said, so... What about the scripture here? And the individual started to explain it away. And I said, well, what about the scripture here? And finally, I turned the Bible around and I said, and when do we believe just what it says? When do we do that? At what point? I don't need a purple book. I don't need a blue book. I don't need a green book. I don't need somebody's uh, own private interpretation that they put it together and try to make some Bible out of it, okay? Which literally the Bible means, the word Bible means book. I don't need their book. I need God's Word. 
I need chapter and verse. I need subject matter. I need to follow the thread and the theme. You know, Jesus' garment in the days of his flesh was woven without seam. This thing all fits together, church family. Every bit of it. There is no contradiction. The contradiction is in the, the minds of carnal thinking people. People who think naturally. Okay? People who don't believe that the Red Sea parted. People who do not believe that the iron did swim. People who don't believe in Jesus Christ healing somebody through his church and the gifts of healing and the many other gifts that are outlined in the scripture. They don't believe in the manifestation of the Spirit of God because they're natural and natural people want to control things. But you're not going to control God. Because God is in control. That's why people are filled with evil spirits. That's why people do nasty and hurtful and criminal things. Because they are thinking they're in control. They have allowed a spirit to enter their lives. And that's who's controlling. And that's why people commit suicide. And that's why people murder people and so on and so forth. It's because they've made themselves servants to the wrong spirit. But you see, those spirits are subject to His spirit. And when you get His Spirit, that's why He said, All power over the power of the enemy I give to you, and nothing shall by any means harm or hurt you, that you have power to rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus Christ. We just recently had a, a lady come up to us, and, and uh, we were actually having lunch, and she was the server. And she said, uh, I know this sounds stupid. So I immediately said, nothing's stupid. What is it you want? And she said, well, she said, something's in my house. She said, I, I don't know what to do. She said, I don't sleep. I cannot sleep. She said, it keeps me up. She said, my sister's been staying with me. And she said the same thing. And she said, uh, somebody was in the house and visited. And they said, they said the same thing. And said, I'm, 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 I'm not getting any sleep here. And I'm in, I'm in bad shape. And uh, I said, all right. I said, um, this is not uncommon to us. And I said, we will, we will come and we will, we will pray. And we'll ask God to remove every evil spirit out of that house. And to give you a good night's sleep. Peaceful sleep. And so we, uh, I sent some of the men over. We had service that night and everything got so filled schedule-wise that I couldn't make it over there before service, and, uh, and after service, uh, the line was long to speak to me, so I sent these men, and they, they not only prayed in her home, but they brought her back and baptized her in Jesus' name, and we were very excited and very happy about that, and so the next day when we went to lunch, I said, so how did you sleep last night? She went, better, and I said, well, that's the way that's supposed to work, and so, but you know, unfortunately, some people will take I'll call it a blessing or an answered prayer or a demonstration. Paul said, I, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he said, and I didn't come to you in man's wisdom, but in power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. And, and uh, some people, when they're blessed with a demonstration of the Holy Ghost, not a carnal demonstration, not a showing off, Nothing like that. You know, the devil told Jesus, if you're who you say you are, then cast yourself down. It's written, and he didn't misquote. He said, it's written that the angels have charge over thee, and they'll bear thee up. Anytime you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus, of course, said, it's also written, and that's where I'm talking to you about contradictions that people make in carnal minds. But he said, uh, it's also written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So it's kind of like my... Uh, well, never mind who it was. Just an individual that said, um, was telling somebody that not to worry about going into the big city uh, late at night or coming, going in so late in the day that you'd be coming back by public transportation way late at night. And the individual said, uh, that's not a wise thing, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that because we could get mugged, we could get robbed, lots of things. Could, you could get killed. And so and there's many documented cases of that. And so um, the individual who had nothing, <laughs> just religion, and said, uh, said, oh, well, I have God, so I don't have to worry about that. And so the individual said, yeah, well, he said, I guess you could go lay down in the middle of the street and count the traffic and not worry about getting run over because you have God. You know, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So we're not talking about a carnal demonstration here. 
But we are talking about that God works through His church, and He has invested in His church power and authority, and uh, given us all power over the power of the enemy. And so uh, we had a man, we've had men, uh, but one in particular, that uh, he went to a, um, uh, an institution, and he was asked by a family member to go pray for somebody that was locked up there. And he told it, he said, while I walked down the corridor, behind the bars and the, and the doors and the padded cells, he said, somebody began to chant, here comes Bill Dross, the Pentecost. He said, I didn't know them. He said, I didn't even know the guy I was going to pray for. He said, I didn't know anybody in there. But you see, the devil knows. The devil knows. And as one individual had a spirit, cried out in a meeting and said, the spirit that's in you is greater than the spirit that's in me. Oh, you better hear me when I tell you the word of God tells you the devils tremble. We know who you are. That the enemy knows God's people. And they don't want to mess with God's people. God's people have the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they didn't get that from man. They got that from heaven. It came a sound from heaven. A rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They all began to speak with other tongues or languages. As the Spirit gave them the utterance. Man wants to be done away. And has tried to be done away with all of that. Because they can't control it. Okay? Some people said you were saved when you said, me too. And that you then prayed a little more the next time and you got sanctified. And then you prayed a third time if you cared to and if you wanted to and if you desired to. But it was an extra added attraction and you really don't have to have it. And the third prayer was to get the Holy Ghost. And so, you know, God, I always felt like he had a little bit of a sense of humor along with making his point. And uh, so he would just send the town drunk in who would stumble down to the altar, never been there before, receive the Holy Ghost. Bam. Sobered up, ready to live for God. You know, man makes up all kinds of things. Three works of grace. That's not in the scripture. Man comes up with all kinds of ideas because somebody eats too many beans, they get up in the morning and decide they want to start a religion. You know, and, and, it's, and it's, it's so deceptive. And people... I had a man here recently, and he's an older man, and he was, he, as far as a human being, he sounded like a good old guy. And he had started a business, and he brought it up from nothing, and he worked very hard, and now he was basically retired, though he still maintained his position in the company. And he, uh, he had an occasion to call me because something was done wrong, and I was trying to get it right, and so they finally put him on to me, and he called me, and he said, he said you know, Reverend, he said, I want to I help you here. And he said, so I'm going to make you an offer. He said, I don't even want you to answer me on it. He said, I just want you to pray about it. So I said, okay. So he told me the offer, and I said, okay, I'll pray about it, and I'll get back to you. So I did. And when I got back to him, well, we got the offer deal settled right away. I gave him my terms, and he agreed to my terms, and everything was fine. And then we got down to business, and we talked about the book. And he started telling me all about taking Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and umpteen years ago and all of that. And I, I began to tell him, I, I began to give him chapter and verse. I began to show him what Jesus said and what he said through his spirit and what was given and what is in the word of God. And he just kept on talking like he didn't hear anything I said. 45 minutes, I was going to a hospital to pray for somebody and I'm sitting there 45 minutes on the phone with him. And so finally I said, you know what, you asked me to do something. You, you threw something at me and told me you wanted me to pray about it. And I said, so let me return that. I said, when you go to bed tonight, get down on your knees if you're physically able to do that. Open your Bible on your, in front of you and to Acts 2.38. Read it and pray and ask God to open your understanding to believe what you're reading. I mean, it's very plain. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the full pardon of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now that's very 
plain English. And if it's not plain enough, you can get a revised version and it won't say remission of sins. It'll say forgiveness of sins, if that helps you. But the point is, it's the most important and pivotal scripture in the whole Bible because once you get past that, you see it again and again and again, the same pattern, the same biblical formula, and you end, you come to the last chapter of the book of Acts, which has no amen because it goes on because the church is still here. But then you go into letters and you go into epistles or messages that were written to the churches that were started and established in different locations. Okay? And so you're reading then messages that were written to people that had already repented and already been baptized in Jesus' name and already received the Holy Ghost. Telling them you're saved. Now here's how to stay saved. You're out of the horrible pit. Here's how to stay out of the horrible pit. In other words, stand fast. And that's what Galatians 5 and 1 teaching to people that were in danger of returning to their folly. These people were in danger of going back to traditions. They were going back to broken covenant. They were going back to all the things that they needed to get away from. And so he said, stand fast in the liberty wherewith you are called. Stand fast in the liberty or the freedom. You are now free from tradition. You are free from deception. When you get baptized in Jesus' name and get filled with the Holy Ghost, you are the chains fall off and the blinders come off your eyes and the, and the stuff in your ears comes out, whether it be wax or paper. <laughs> it comes out and you can hear and you can see and you can experience and you can know the truth, okay? And you can stand fast in it now. You want to be, as the writer said, immovable, okay? You want to stand fast in this truth. And so you want to, and remember that it's a freedom. You're being given a freedom. Philippians 1 and 4 said, stand fast in the Lord. I like the qualification. He said, in the Lord. There are things that you will study in your Bible, if you will, and you will find that phrase, in the Lord, okay? Free to do certain things in the Lord. It's not a, you know, the world would give you a license to sin. They would tell you once you're saved, because you shook the hand or signed the card or took Christ your personal Savior, which none of those things are in the Bible, but if you do it their worldly way, their natural way, their carnal way, they tell you that once you do that, once saved, you're always saved. You know? And so people are saying, well, I'm fine, so okay, good, I can never, and they tell you you can never lose your salvation. So you could just go out there and do whatever you want to do. So they give you a license to sin. But you see, that's not what the Word of God teaches. Okay? Romans to Revelation is there pointing back to Acts 2.38 and telling you now that you've got that, stand fast in this. And this is how you'll stay saved. This is how you'll stay out of the wrong things. Okay? I uh, had a man in, at, uh, we, bap he, we baptized him in Jesus' name at the prison. He received the Holy Ghost right down the street here at the uh, uh, GCI and he uh, he worked in the pharmacy and he was pretty trusted and he said that uh, one day he got me a, I used to go on, on Saturdays every two every two weeks they would allow me to baptize I'd go every Saturday but they only allowed me to baptize every two weeks pretty soon they didn't want me to baptize at all and uh, but anyway I uh, I was after the service that we had he asked me he said I was wondering if you could come talk to the pharmacist he volunteers here from Delglade and uh, he said, I, he, he believes that once you're saved, you're always saved. And I can't convince him that that's not true, no matter how much scripture I give him. And I said, okay. I said, I'll, I'll come one day. So we went and went to the visitor place and they had this stone table and the stone benches. And we sat down. And so the, the pharmacist sat across from me and the inmate sat to my right. And we got, the, so I just took the ball and I said, okay, so tell me something. I said, um, you're, you're claiming that you're saved and that having done that, by shaking the hand, signing the card, taking Christ as Savior, that uh, you're, you're always saved. You could never lose your salvation. You could never, never have that happen to you. And he said, that's right. And I said, well, I want to ask you a question now. If you believe the Bible, right, you believe the Bible? He said, yeah. I said, okay, then you, you believe it does tell us to repent and accept we repent of our sins, then uh, we're, we're going to perish. We're going to be lost. And he said, yeah. He said, that's right. And I said, okay. I said, so we're, um, we're sitting here. And you pull out a gun, Mr. Saved, and you shoot me dead. And I said, before you can blink an eye, he shoots you. 
I said, where are you going? He hung his head and he said, hell. You know, you sin, you got to repent. It's just as simple as that, church family. There's no license to sin. The license is to be free from sin. <laughs> the license is to have all the, the shackles and the handcuffs to come off of your mind, your heart, and to be free from every ugly spirit that continually rules in your life. We are born in sin. We are shapen or misshapen in iniquity, okay? And so we're born behind the eight ball, so to speak. And as sparks fly upward, that's how our lives are full of trouble from the time we're born, all right? It's there. It's in our nature. And the enemy can get right in there at the earliest time. He can get right in there and mess things up. But you want to believe with me, I trust, that if you will repent of your sins, and you will be baptized in Jesus' name, and you will be filled with the Holy Ghost, and then stand fast in that, and you want to stand fast because where we started, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 17 asks the question, who shall be able to stand? And he just opened the seals, and you see a difference that took place between the fifth and the sixth seal. And man, I want you to know there's a big difference because when that last seal got opened, oh brother, that's when the heavens rolled together like a scroll. That's when the stars begin to fall and there's not one star up there that's, that's smaller than planet Earth. They're all bigger. And, and, and the fig tree began to drop its fruit, shaken in an untimely season, and every island and every mountain was moved out of its place. I'm telling you, the day of His wrath has come. They're going to pray for death. They're going to pray for a place to hide. There won't be any place to hide, and death will flee from them. And the writer said, who's going to be able to stand? It's those that stand fast and just what I'm telling you this morning. You get this message, and you tell yourself this comes from God. This is His word. It's right there. I'm going to do what the apostles and the rest of them did, and I'm going to stand fast. I'm going to continue in that. Standing fast in the day. In the day. Let's lift our hearts with our hands. And let's love the Lord together. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Lord, and I give you thanks, Jesus, and I give you praise. I give you glory and I give you honor. I thank you for the truth, the truth that comes from heaven. Thank you, dear Jesus. Thank you, dear Lord. Thank you, dear Savior. Wonderful, great, and precious God. Let's give our God a big hand together. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. All right, Pete. Thank you, Jesus. All right, we're going to. Sometime around here, we're going to worship the Lord a little bit more. We're glad you're here. We appreciate you being here. And uh, we want to sing a little bit unto the Lord right now. And everybody said amen. amen. Give God a big hand with me together. Thank you, Jesus. My God is more than enough. He can supply my needs. He is my El Shaddai. He always looks out for me. Jehovah Jireh.
Jehovah Jireh, 